Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to bring back for the second time on Strategic Investor Radio, Sanford Coggins, CEO and founder of VisionWise Capital, a real estate fund manager located right down the street in Mission Viejo here in Southern California. And he's with us here in the studio. Sanford, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thank you so much. It's great to be back. So, Sanford, uh, you started out uh, University of Well, after being raised in uh, Southern California, started out University of Texas, began as a quarterback, mm-hmm. and then switched to a wide receiver. You guys actually played in the national championship in one of your years there. Then you spent decades as a wealth manager and then transitioned to commercial real estate development. Now, that's Mm. not a typical path of anybody. We're going to ask you uh, why and how you did that. But before that, Sanford, you've played at a level of of sports that few have in in front of 100,000 people, you know, uh, several, many, many times and millions watching on television. What are some insights you could share with us or some things that over the years, it's been a yeah. few years now, sure. uh, some, some insights of uh, things you gain by having done that? Uh, Charlie, I'd, I'd love to be able to consolidate this into some one-sentence scenario, but there was so much. I mean, one, moving 1,400 miles away from home and having to reestablish yourself and figure out who you are when everyone you know who told you who you were isn't around. Uh, that in and of itself grows a person in a hurry. But walking through the tunnel, I mean, coming in uh, to the stadium with 80 to 100,000 people, stands uh, shouting and screaming, uh, that's an experience. It's uh, an unbelievable rush. Uh, signing footballs when you know that within yourself that you're not all that, but people think you're something else, uh, that's huge. But I got to play with some guys that were absolute superstars on the field. I mean, Johnny Lamb Jones ran a 4-2-40 gold medalist in high school at the Olympics in 76, and Earl Campbell got to hand the ball off to him my freshman year. And So there was a, a, a number of things. I think the biggest of it was my straw got widened. And what I mean by that is I think we all look at life through a straw. Uh, some straws are wider than others, and, but nobody sees it all. So uh, my straw got much wider by having made that journey to Texas. Well, that, that, that's great to hear, and, and we appreciate you sharing that with us, and glad you've been able to learn from it and grow and, uh, and contribute here. Yeah, so. yeah there's no question. It's, it's um, what you do with your time, as in traveling and reading books and the people that you hang out with. Uh, I don't know of anything that actually grows a person any greater than that. I bet, I bet. So tell us, uh, tell us about your transition from the world of wealth management to the world of commercial real estate development, which is a very different world and very few take that path. Sure. Well, out of college, I went to commercial banking and I realized I didn't want to be a banker, but what I learned there in terms of credit analysis was very helpful. I came back to California and uh, was actually in the commercial real estate brokerage business for about six years. And from there, I got an opportunity from a friend of mine uh, right about the time the real estate market slowed to go to work with Merrill Lynch. And that was an amazing experience on the wealth management as well as the investment banking side of things. Uh, but to, bl- to blend them together, I never let go of real estate. I continue to do real estate syndications. I continue to buy as a principal. So when it came down to the 2002-2007, uh, 2008 time horizon, 
Uh, we were able to pull clients out of the stock market in literally February through March of 2008. We missed the downturn altogether. It was very fortunate. We, uh, we moved money into cash. We had real estate paying income at the time, and we were just, we missed it. So what I learned is that one, I'm not really a big stock and bond guy. I mean, I really didn't know how to pull the levers to really make that product work for my investors. Uh, but real estate always seemed to work. So I started DivisionWise Capital in 2013, and that's where we've been since then. I, uh, I couldn't be happier with the product that we're using and as well as the tools and the, st- the strategy that we have. So tell us about your strategy and basically what difference, differentiates you guys from competitors? Sure. In, uh, in the early goings, I was buying real estate in general. And then I realized as an operator, you really need to narrow your niche. And that's what we did. We sold a couple hundred units in Sacramento, for example. And in a three-week period, we had 11 offers. And I went to the five best and final letters that went out, and each one of those potential buyers had over $30 million of cash in the bank. So what I realized is I'm not going to be able to rightfully compete in that space. They overpaid, in my opinion, for the building that I was selling. Uh, Investors did really well, but I decided to narrow the niche to five to 50-unit apartment buildings, and that's what we do. In that space, there's over 3,200 of those properties in Orange County alone. And what I can do with our institutional knowledge is sort of dominate that marketplace, which is what we are doing right now. We're just coming in with an institutional mindset, being able to crank out these, uh, these units and turn them quickly, and at the same time respect the tenants in the process so we're able to contain, or I should say retain, up to 50% of the tenants in every building that we turn. So, so what do you see as the key elements of success in that particular uh, narrow niche? Yeah, that's great. We're dealing with smaller zeros. So the... The, uh, the team uh, before Christmas, uh, we were talking about what we do, and I pulled a Ray Kroc story right when he said, what business am I in? And he was the founder of McDonald's. But here he is talking to this MBA class, and some, some person stood up, and they were confident in themselves enough to say that he was in the hamburger business, and he knew it was a set-up question. And he answered, no, I'm, I'm in the real estate business. And at the time, he was the largest owner, private owner of real estate in the country with all those commercial locations. And we're in the same business. We're in the real estate business as a product, but we're actually in the manufacturing business in terms of our our methods. We are in and out of a unit in three weeks and a day. We clock everything. Everything's measured to time and cost. We have incentives at our general uh, contractor level based on how quickly we're in and out and how well it's done and how quickly we release the, the, uh, the unit. So, so you say in and out. You're talking about upgrades. Upgrades, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the upgrades that we do, again, soft-closed cabinets and drawers, new flooring, new appliances, everything's new in that, in that unit. Basically cosmetic improvements. Cosmetic indeed. But for the tenant, it's like moving back into a million-dollar home. Really? It really is. I mean, you can look at our website, and you can see some of the accoutrements that we add, and it's pretty spectacular. Okay, and so you go in looking for what? We're looking for buildings that are old, tired, dusty, and fully occupied. That's ideal. Come to my house. Yeah. (laughs) What we found is the demographics that own 5 to 50-unit apartment buildings in Orange County, and I think throughout major uh, uh, MSAs in the country, uh, I think that the early baby boomers in their late 60s and the silent generation mid-70s, that's who owns them. 
And invariably, they enjoy mailbox income from those properties. What they don't want is to have to go back in and property manage them. They don't want tenants and you know, issues and toilets and that sort of thing. Uh, what we do is we come in at a time where they, the leases have rolled over to month-to-month leases oftentimes. So we're buying a property that's fully occupied, but the rents are significantly below market. Not for that product, but by the time we finish, we're able to move rents as much as 25 to 35% upwards. Here's the key. In those buildings, again, nearly 50% of the residents stay and pay the higher rent because we're not charging more than everyone else. We're just charging equal to what other buildings are charging that have our type of, of, of upgrades. The only difference being that they were done five to 10 years ago. Ours is brand new. So for the new car smell, we get the first tenants, but they're paying a much, much more aggressive rent. Now, in a world where uh, people have been, for decades, people have been raising money, going out and buying properties, multifamily housing has been very popular mm. over the past uh, couple decades, yeah. okay, and living in Irvine, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and you're not far away, uh, you know, multifamily, high-density housing is the rage and has sure. been, and just drive on the roads and you discover that, okay? Yeah, yeah that's right. How is it that this is still an available niche? One thing that I've learned is that real estate has multiple products within it, and I think people don't, don't recognize that as, as, uh, as often. They consider single-family residences and office buildings and, and retail centers. They categorize it as real estate in general. When you come to apartments or multifamily, the same is true. There's a strata. And the, the product that's being built today, that high-rise uh, sort of village apartments in Orange County, f- for example, that has a market downstairs and a deli and a dry cleaners and across the street from entertainment, that's set up for the millennial generation effectively to be able to live, drive, Uber actually, and, uh, and do everything close at hand. That's not the product that we buy. We buy things in the 1960s to 1990s construction. They're not building that anymore. It's a mile from the ocean. So when a recession hits, which will happen eventually, the the two millennials that are occupying that two-bedroom unit in that high-rise apartment building, one of them loses a job, and the other one either moves home or they move into our product, which is a lower cost, but, it, but, it, but the accoutrements are just as pleasant. So we find that we're a little resistant to having that product come online. In fact, it helps us because it push, pushes rents for everyone. Well, very, very interesting. So, so how is it that you protect the investor? The, the, uh, the critical thing for me is, uh, I say it this way, I, I do not want any Ds or Fs on my report card. I don't mind a C. I'll get my A's and my B's. But at the end of the day, do not lose principal. That's, that's, that's key. So the only way that I know to really minimize the risk of losing principal in real estate is to reduce the leverage. In fact, I'd say that 85% of the risk of real estate is the leverage. It's not the real estate, because the real estate rebounds over time uh, like we've always seen it do. But if you want to lose something, lose it to the bank, and it's gone forever. So the reality of it is our loan-to-cost maximum is 50%. And the reason for that is when I ran the algorithms early on, I found that at an 80% loan-to-value, if the net operating income of an apartment building dropped by 12%, you run the risk of losing the asset to the bank. You get a notice of default. Whereas with a 50% loan-to-value, it takes about a 32% drop in net operating income. Now, in the 2008-2009 recession, the average NOI in, in Orange County dropped about 20%. 
So I'm suggesting that it would have to be something worse than the Great Recession to occur in Orange County or in this country for us to be at risk of getting a notice of default from the bank. We will ride through a recession. Yeah, but my my reaction to that, Coggins, to to be perfectly frank, is uh, the number I almost always hear from people like you is 75% loan Mm -hmm. to value. Yeah. So what you just said makes, you know, such complete sense why aren't others doing that? Why are they going to 75%? I believe that we have a, a, you know, we've heard this comment before, a microwave society. People just don't remember. It's just they want everything now. And so it does make sense if you win to leverage the asset as much as you can. I mean, there was no money down. It was very popular in the 80s. But the reality of it is the investment risk goes both ways. It's a two-way street. And oftentimes we get caught looking one way. And it's a chain letter effect. Everybody sort of jumps on board looking in the same direction. But when the shift occurs, the people who are last on board get hit the hardest. Yeah. You still can't deny the fact that we will have a recession. They're cyclical. And because they're cyclical, there'll be another one. Yeah. And not necessarily that far away. No. Now, in this market now, we've, we're, we're overdue, actually, in some, in some cases. There's a, there's a lot of geopolitical reasons why we haven't had a recession already. You know, one being that they have a strong economy right now. Uh, jobs growth is strong. But the flip side of it is uh, uh, we have to burp. I mean, that's just what capitalism does. And eventually it will curb. But maybe not, not as deeply as 07, 08, 09. But certainly it'll happen. Yeah. You know, I, I follow uh, one of our previous guests. Uh, Dr. Bob Dealey, who, by the way, has a PhD in economics from University of Texas. Sure, very good. Uh, okay, and, smart man. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, he worked for years. He's an older fellow, undoubtedly in his sixties, uh, and in photograph, maybe old. And um, I, I take his research. Okay, and he has chart after chart after chart and everything else, okay? Mm-hmm. And he projects nine months ahead of time. Okay. And he saw the, you know, the, the different phases of the cycle mm-hmm. and for years said that we were in expansion phase, which is the best. Yeah. And then he, he saw nine months prior, beginning of 2019, he okay. saw us moving into the boom phase, yeah. which is still a strong phase, but not as strong as the expansion. Sure. And when it goes down, then we're going to be in the, uh, I forget what the next one is called, but that's where you have the recession. Sure. Okay. And he has seen those things. And he says all the time, business cycles, you don't blame the president. You don't blame Congress. They are a natural consequence. And not that those folks can't help bring things on one way or the other. Yeah. Okay. And he has foreseen that. Sure. And so, you know, we're getting close to the middle of uh, 2019, 2020 or so. A recession can be very, very likely or, yeah. or soon thereafter. Yeah. So given that, okay, a couple of questions. One is, what geographical areas do you look at? We are in Southern California, but I like to do most of our business in Orange County. I find that we're the only player in Orange County that's really doing this as a recurring uh, systematic or programmatic investment process. There are a couple of firms in Los Angeles County, uh, specifically in Long Beach. Uh, but none of them do it quite like we do it. And because we have so much product to choose from and so such a great coastal community properties, uh, we're able to pick and choose what we want. There's only, let's put it this way, two years in running, there's been 85% of the transactions were one and done by mom and pops who sell the property and don't re-enter the market. Uh, that's a great opportunity for us to dominate a very small niche, and that's our objective. We, uh, we will end up with a large array of coastal community apartment buildings that one day will be worth more than you know, the average three funds. 
Okay. So so tell us, you know, it's widespread belief that um, the areas you're, you guys are focused on are overbuilt. Sure. Okay. Um, well, n- not necessarily overbuilt, but high-priced. Oh, yeah, I get that okay. too. Sure. Yeah. So tell us why you're comfortable being in that geographical location. We bought a property, a five-unit building in Huntington Beach for $2 million. We sold it 12 months and a day later for $2,850,000. We raised rent $625 per unit. It cost us about $165,000 to do that in capital expenditures. By the end of the day, we had three tenants that stayed put and paid the higher rent. The investors received a 27% return. Now, we bought that, if you're familiar with cap rates, at a 2.9 cap rate. 2.9? That's absurd. Yeah. Right? Real estate operators think that's nuts. You can't make money there. But... The going-in cap rate is really insignificant if you're able to raise rent so significantly and still maintain your tenant base. That's how we do it in Orange County. It's, it's a matter of math. It's not a matter of trends. It's not a matter of, I uh, like the curtains. It's just math, and that's what we focus on. Well, very, very interesting. Uh, and second question is, what, what misperceptions do you find when you tell your story? I mean, again, it sounds very, very logical, yeah. and you've got a good track record, etc. What misperceptions do people typically have that you have to overcome? There are a couple. Talk about the investors. Sure. No, okay. I understand. You know, one is uh, the misperception that real estate is uh, illiquid, and that's the advisor's challenge. Most often, they're accustomed to dealing with portfolio assets that you can buy and sell on a three-day trade. But what, what happens is illiquid, if, you, if you eliminate illiquid alternatives, then you eliminate some of the better returns yeah. that a portfolio can, can, can achieve. Ask any institution. That's there you what go. they do. That's exactly right. So what I try to help advisors understand is of the total portfolio for the client, they don't need all of the money in the case of an emergency, and they don't need all of the money in many cases for the more affluent clients to even accomplish their financial objectives long term. That portion that they don't need for that long-term objective is a great opportunity for them to show their clients a more mature portfolio. So one objection would be illiquidity. The other one would be, aren't you disrupting the lives of tenants? And I don't want to be in a business where we do it. That's our brand. So what we do, Charlie, is we meet with every single tenant the day we close escrow, the day after. And our objective is to retain 50% or more of the residents in every property we buy. So far, we're at about 46%. And the reason we do that is because they ask three questions. One, what's my rent going to be? And we tell them. Two, what are you going to do to, to, to justify the increased rent? And we tell them that, too, because we already have that schematic laid out by unit. The third question is, so when is my number coming up? When am I going to get my notice? And we tell them that. So then they go out and they do a one-mile search for another place to live, and they find there's no place out there that's renovated and done any, have any work done on it at all that charges them any more. So they just come back, and they stay where we are. And it's just a delightful win-win-win for the investor, for the enterprise to stay profitable for the tenants. They don't have to change their address. They keep their kids in the same school. They don't have to have another security deposit uh, for electric and utilities and whatnot. And we help them with their storage by giving them their rent for the month. They don't pay us anything. And just when they move back in, they move their stuff out of the garage back into the new place that we've created for them. It's a very, very strong win-win-win. 
And so if you do this uh, remanufacturing, the, these upgrades, in a period of, I think you said, three weeks. Three but, weeks in a day. Oh, three weeks in a day. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, well, what if you got 40 units here? I mean, sure. did, did you have the, 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 the manpower, the human power to come in and do this stuff and its quality work, et cetera? That's a great question. We have, over the years, in this last five years, almost six, accumulated tradesmen two and a half deep. Now, keeping in mind, we don't do heavy construction, and which is a difficult one because those guys are aging out. I mean, it's very, very difficult to find some really heavy construction contract labor. Ours is more cosmetic, like you mentioned, drywall, paint, flooring, granite uh, tops and such. Uh, but we don't have any issues scheduling because they compete for the business, and they frankly are pretty uh, loyal to us at this point. We have a general contractor on staff. Uh, that runs the job. I have an asset manager that runs the strategic nature of every deal we do, and we third-party out our property manager and watch them like a hawk and keep you know, check the, and, and inspect their numbers. So we have plenty of capacity, and so in a 40-unit building, we may be renovating four or five units at a time. Whereas in a 10-unit building, we may only be renovating two. Because, again, the objective is not to displace tenants. The objective is to really get the job done where everybody wins. Gotcha. Rising interest rates. Sure. They're going to happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, maybe soon, may not be that soon, okay? Yeah. Why are you comfortable being in real estate in a rising interest rate environment? Interest rates are interesting this time, this season around, because we have so much debt in this country that you won't see interest rates spike anytime soon. If we get north of about a four and a quarter percent interest rate, you won't find us being able to pay our own debt as a country. I think that's why the Feds have been reluctant in bumping rates uh, any more aggressively. In our business, we've mitigated that risk even more. We turn units quickly. So we actually won't get caught in an interest rate uprise very easily by virtue of we're in and out of a building anywhere from 7 to about 11 or 12 months is all it takes for us to renovate and completely turn a building. So really? that shortness of time allows us to re minimize risk for investors again, in addition to the, the leverage that we're unwilling to take on in great numbers. And, and that short period of time, obviously, that's purposeful. Absolutely. I, we're in, we're out, we're profitable as a result of it. Well, wow, very interesting. Uh, Sanford, got to hand it to you. You've uh, you, you've checked the boxes mm. and you've uh, seen opportunity and uh, working hard on it. L let me uh, ask you a question. We'd like to ask our guests here: What's the best ad advice you've ever read, heard, or received about investing? Uh, if I were to categorize that as a uh, a personal investing investing question, I would say the the best would be the book uh, "The Richest Man in Babylon" by George Klassen. I mean, I just I just think that nails it. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's absolutely truthful. Uh, but if I was talking to someone who asked the question with regards to how to invest, I'd say uh, anything Warren Buffett. Uh, YouTube, uh, binge on what he has to say and his principles. And I just think that you'll nail it in terms of inspecting as opposed to expecting when it comes to investing. Okay, appreciate that. We've had Warren Buffett mentioned many times, but not in relation to that particular question here. Mm, so, uh, yeah. so tell us a question we ask all of our guests here. Um, what keeps you awake at night, Sanford? <laughs> Charlie, I don't lose sleep. Um, <laughs> I go horizontal and I'm gone. But I tell you this, I think it's because, uh, maybe it's a Warren Buffett quote even, that um, risk uh, actually can be measured by the fact that uh, the more you know, the less risky something is. I mean, it's more risky if you don't have knowledge. I think we've come to the place now where we're so in our lane and what we do and so predictive in the outcomes that it's 
there's a tremendous amount of peace in that and a lot of uh, ability to, to rest and not have to worry. So uh, I, nothing keeps me up. I, now, I am looking for a new pillow. Uh, <laughs> I think I could probably get a different configuration that will be able. <laughs> but other than that, uh, we're good to go. Well, as a man who has raised three kids, I've got to hand it to you that you did not say that your kids drive you crazy and your oh, daughter no. comes home too late, too late and that kind of thing. No, so, uh, we're really fortunate in that regard. Now, I'm not as fortunate as you yet. <laughs> I know that uh, marriage has a lot to do with being fruitful and multiplying. and We've been fruitful, but your multiplication. <laughs> With 17 grandchildren is pretty amazing. Well, uh, it's it's fun, by the way. No and, doubt. Uh, and it's fun to hand off uh, those grandkids and let their parents worry about the challenges <laughs> as well. Yeah. So uh, another question we ask all of our guests here is, uh, what book would you recommend for our listeners? Here? Okay, sure. I uh, read a book on the way back from New York about eight months ago called Rocket Fuel by Gino Wickman. And uh, the reason I read it was advised that I do. It's a business operating system, basically. It, um, it's a, an, an amalgamation of some of the greatest writers out there, Michael Gerber, Dan Sullivan, Patrick Lencioni. But Gino has put this thing together in such a way that is amazingly useful for a small to mid-sized business to be able to operate like an institution without the inflexibility and the bureaucracy that comes with it. And we've implemented that to the T in our company, to the point where now we're able to run the company by a dashboard. I literally don't have to be in the office supervising, because I have, metaphorically, I have a shortstop that will catch the ball. I don't have to run from right field to back them up. It's just an amazing system. So Rocket Fuel would be one, and the follow-up book is Traction. And I'd really recommend for any business owner that they take a look at that. Okay, and I can second that. You were nice enough to, to forward that book to me. Sure. And, uh, boy, it, uh, it, it, like you say, it's not that the ideas are so original, but he packages them and puts them together. And uh, it's also a great, it could be a great idea for a family as well. No uh, doubt. Because, you know, any kind of organization here. Well, it focuses uh, on accountability and roles and responsibility. And we talked about that earlier. If you're going to do it right as a family then the kids need to have accountability. They need to understand what mom and dad expect, and they need to be given some roles and responsibilities. That just keeps them sane. So, Sanford, uh, for those who would like to know more, uh, what can they do? Well, we uh, obviously have a website at visionwisecapital.com. We have, I think our story's told fairly well there, and there's some, some images that would allow you to see the before and after of the work that we do. Uh, the phone number is 949-441-5580. And uh, I make it a point that particularly for someone having questions either about how they can invest in real estate or, more importantly, how does real estate factor into their overall portfolio structure, I think my experience as a, an RIA, a wealth manager, has really given me a balanced look at stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and real estate, and how they fit together as an integrated portfolio. I'd be delighted to have that conversation. Okay, and uh, and, and and tell us here, uh, uh, you accept investors from throughout the country? We do, and most of our investors obviously are in California, but there are many, uh, a couple dozen or so, that either are invested or have invested from other states. Uh, we do work with accredited investors at this point, and that's uh, by definition a million dollars of investable capital or more, and in, in, uh, not including your home. And of course, that includes trusts for larger amounts and whatnot. But but other than that accredited factor, which can be easily uh, uh, attended to by your CPA or your wealth manager writing a letter on that behalf on your behalf. Uh, other than that, the minimums we use are a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, I find that right now our average investor is about a $225,000.
So final words for our listeners here, Sanford. You know, Charlie, we talked a lot about family earlier here before we came on the air, and a story came to mind. I'm not quite sure if this is applicable for your your base or not, but uh, if I'm speaking to a millennial, uh, if I'm speaking to an early baby boomer, uh, I'd say that there was this one story about a dad who worked a ton, and his daughter would ask, Mom, how come dad's not home? And uh, the, the wife would say that, well, your dad's got a lot of work to do, and he doesn't get it all done. So sometimes when he comes home, he even has to work then. And the daughter said, well, why don't they put him in a lower class? And I just thought, you know, for some listeners, it may be that you're working really hard to try to learn a new trade, maybe learn how to do real estate on your own. And I find people doing that all the time, and they're working themselves in the ground, trying to property manage, trying to learn how to rehab, trying to learn all these things that you learn, think you learn on HGTV. And I would say there are better ways. You can be a direct investor in real estate as opposed to a stock like a REIT. You can be a direct investor in real estate with private placements like the things we're doing. Sanford, thank you very much. Great Indeed. great advice for our listeners. Indeed. So thank you very much for joining us today, and our best wishes to you and Vision Wise Capital and all the people there uh, with continued success. Thank you, Charlie, very much. Again, we've been talking with Sanford Coggins of Vision Wise Capital, the founder and CEO, a real estate fund manager. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, including the one we did a couple of years ago with Sanford, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.